This is the second time we've done a podcast together and yes. we're going to continue to do these and we're going to, you know, for all of you guys out there that don't know, and some of you guys hit me up and like, I feel bad because people are like, Hey Tyler, where's this podcast at? I'm like, fuck man, I'm fucking all over the world right now. And sometimes I just don't got time. I get tired or I'm just like, what do I talk about? You know, like, how many times can you talk about the same thing before you're like, how many times I'm going to keep talking about this shit? Yeah, no, absolutely. But I sometimes have to take a step back and put myself in the mindset where I'm like, okay, not everybody has heard this podcast before and they might not want to go back two or three years and listen to this episode where I talk about prone fundamentals or recoil management. So it's not like we're redoing it. We're just reinforcing it and expanding to a new listener base. Right. So, uh, for everybody that is watching this episode, we are going to hold each other to that. We have to do this once a week minimum. Um, yes. And it's kind of, it's not really holding each other to a standard. It's more like shaming each other into submission. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We're all about that shame game. So this is the Max Order Precision Rifle Podcast. Today is Monday, Martin Luther King Day. I don't know the actual date. I think it's January 19th. Is that correct? I think it's the 16th, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. It is the 16th. Man, I'm like lost three days. <laughs> I had to look, I had to look at my calendar. I don't know. Lost three days, man. Last night was rough. But so Martin Luther King Day. Um couple of the things that I want to talk about is, is one, like, let's start with things that may not really pertain to precision rifle. How big of a conspiracy theorist are you? I'm huge. And, and I wouldn't say I'm a conspiracy theorist as much as, you know, if, if you think the government's batting a thousand and they are fucking telling you everything, then you are crazy <laughs> okay there's so. some shit that they're just there's some shit that they just ain't gonna tell you so uh, you know so, so believe- i'm trying to i'm trying to go deeper than just the government i'm looking at like not i'm looking at things that they're not telling us right so like um for example there's two things that are kind of like in the news right now and i know that there's there's always media coverage on shit to try and get our focus off of something else right and I believe that to be 100% true. I, I don't trust the media. And this is not a conspiracy theory podcast or anything like that. But hear me out on this. Uh, what's the big story in the news right now? Well, pick one. 
I would say that, um, you know, classified information, just hanging out and in, in, gar- uh, in garages with Corvettes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that's a okay. pretty big story right now. And that's kind of got like everybody's attention. So what is all of this stuff that's happening right now? Right. The media is focused on what, I mean, did you know that, a like a plane crashed over in Nepal today? Yes. Um, uh, so uh, yes. And I don't think that, you know, the plane was intentionally crashed or anything. I'm just saying like the media chooses things to promote and like elevate so that they're kind of redirecting where our focus is at. And, you know, so I started seeing different things. And one of those is like, uh, you know, Washington is trying to push. And I believe Colorado is trying to do the same thing here early in 2023, where they're trying to ban assault weapons, right? What they, what they call assault weapons. And I don't know what the definition is for each one of these different States. Right. But you would think, especially after like when they write these bills, it's like, we're going to ban assault weapons. We're going to do this so that you can't buy these things. And we're going to limit how many rounds you can have in a magazine. We're going to do all of this stuff. And all of these things have been failing in California. So why are these other states trying to do the same thing that has been failing in the court system in California? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like we're at a point where they're, they're just doing it to implement a law and then drag it out through the court system for however long they can get away with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause I mean, if you look at, if you look at the way they name the bills, right? So the one in Colorado and I, I could be wrong, but I believe it's called the safe schools act. And of course, like who's not going to vote for an act called the safe schools. I would vote for it. I mean, it's a safe schools act, of course. Right. So until you start reading into what it actually is and they just keep trying and trying and trying until it gets passed and then it'll get fought and eventually turned over. But they don't, they don't care. They have nothing else to do and they just want to take guns. That's it. And they're just tying this shit up in the legal system. Yeah. Yeah. So the other thing, and you saw that I posted that, uh, that meme yesterday that was, you know, talking about being ungovernable because of the, pistol brace buttstock and the gas mm-hmm. burning stove. Yes. All right. So I, I read something that kind of got that conspiracy theory mind of mine working. It was like, Hey, they, why are they trying to ban gas stoves? Well, because they can't easily turn off gas, natural gas to your home. They have to come to your home to turn the gas off. Right. But if everything is based off of electricity, boom, they can turn your power off in an instant. And now they have yep. more control of you. Like, isn't some and of this it, shit a little and crazy? And it's always been about control, whether they're pushing EVs, whether they're pushing, you know, uh, no more natural gas and it's got to be electric stoves. It's all about control. and always has been. Oh you my know, goodness. It, dude. I mean, the, the social credit system is, is, you know, I don't want to say it's going to be implemented, but that's what they've been trying to do forever. So if they can control, you know, your access to things, yeah. then they can control you. Yeah. You know, the California power grid right now can barely handle all the people that it has in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Yet they want everyone to buy electric cars and then they tell you not to plug them into the wall. And here's my favorite. So we got... We got solar last year and we thought we were doing what we should be doing. We're going to not necessarily get off grid, but we're going to, you know, spend thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 on solar panels and, and, and save a little bit of California's grid, some, uh, uh, a little bit of headache. So 
we get we get solar. Um, she wants an electric car, not because she cares about the environment, but because she hates getting gas. Cool, we get an electric car. And now California is trying to tax anybody that has solar for <laughs> using solar because we're not paying into the maintenance and the welfare of the electrical grid. Yeah. So it's yeah. Now we're being punished for being on solar. And it's actually cost it, it hasn't passed, and I don't know if it if it was dead upon arrival, but it, we have paid more this year since we've gotten solar in in our electrical bill because we do, I think it's called net-net. So we feed into the grid and then we just take back and then they get us a bill either more or less at the end of the year. Well, our bill this year was like $2,000. Yeah. But we didn't spend that much on electricity the year before. Yeah. But, <laughs> and we've got solar. Yeah. Dude. So, uh, Team MY, you know, I haven't heard from, from Russ or Nick, but Vanessa, her, um, her natural gas bill in December, I think it was like, it was like 55, $56, right. Natural gas. And, um, you know, you got the holidays. So the weather's, it's a little bit colder. That's not insane. Right. It's not, it's California. Yeah. You know, so she runs a heater a little bit. She turns the fire on, whatever. Like, you know, January 1st hits and she's getting emails, right? That, uh, you know, the gas prices have gone up and here is your projected bill. So her bill went from $56 average monthly, right? Even historically, look at the previous years to, you know, your estimated total for this month will be $404. Holy shit. For natural gas? (laughs) Yeah. For one, for, sorry, there, it's her and her roommate living in her home, right? That is uh, insane. You know, so it's like, oh my god. So, what are these prices going to do? They, uh, I mean, just talking with her instantly. You know, what do you think her first thought was? I need to look into getting electrical appliances, you know, like electric water heater. I'm going to turn my natural gas all the way down. Like, Oh my God, I got to, you know, because uh, you know, we're in, whether we're in a recession right now, or we're just in a market downturn either way, like, you know, the housing market not doing very well. People don't have as much money as they had in previous years. Government, you know, stop handing money out to, to people, you know? So like, when you see those price changes at such a drastic turn, especially when you think about like, you know, older individuals, you know, people who are not well off, but they're, they're not doing bad, but they're living off of social security, pension, whatever it is, but that's a fixed income. You know, anybody working on, on salary is a fixed income. So you like to have things that are structured every month. And now you got this $350 increase in natural gas. And it's like, holy fuck. Yeah, no, yeah, that's crazy. Like, my, my mom, you know, I, my mom lives at my house in Ohio and, and I, I kind of help take care of her a little bit, but she's on social security and she has a, a fixed income. Um, and she went from where she could kind of just get by. She doesn't pay any rent to me. But she lives there with a couple of roommates and she does okay. Now she can, she can't even, she hasn't left her house in two months because she can't afford to go anywhere. She can't afford gas. She can't afford to go eat anywhere. And, you know, it's, 
it's not just people like me and you are like, yeah, this sucks, but whatever, you know, we will deal with it. It's people like that who literally will go without eating. Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy, you know, and, um, Again, just to kind of lean away from the conspiracy theory stuff, but like, well, it is. I mean, you look at at like lumber is a perfect example where lumber should be at pre-COVID prices. Futures, lumber futures are 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 all pre-COVID prices right now. But yeah. I still paid one hundred and sixty dollars for a, a four by eight sheet of plywood yeah. two weeks ago, which is peak COVID pricing. Yeah. So. It, you know, I, I, they're keeping the prices where they're at. I don't care what they say. Yeah. They don't need to be there. Well, uh, there's all kinds of crazy stuff, man. And, um, you know, I'm always in that realm of trying to increase my education level. I'm not the smartest guy. I didn't like I went to college, but I was not successful in college. You know, like I, I tried to take classes on business. Like I wanted to get a business degree, use my GI bill and like, and like feel good about having a degree. And then, you know, I came to this realization that I really didn't need this fucking degree from this institution. I needed to learn the things to help me. Right. But the degree wasn't going to do anything different for me. Right. So started taking classes like, you know, I, I sucked at accounting. That's just why I have Paul. And then, um, you know, some other stuff that I just like, I couldn't focus on it, but things that I was interested in, it's like, you know, the Photoshop stuff. And and now I want to get more into videography and like, and how can we make our podcast better? Um, yeah. but you know, other things is, is there's so much resources out there in terms of like education online. You just have to, you have to search for one. You have to, you have to actively go and find it. YouTube's not going to reach out to you and say, Hey, Tyler, you want to learn about the stock market today and, you know, investing in real estate. So, you know, you have to go seek it. And now you can listen to all of these people talk about these different topics that you want to learn about. And it's kind of like being in the precision rifle arena or pistol or carbine or whatever, like how many different people are putting videos out there. Right. Yeah. And how do you know who's giving you good shit and who's it's blowing smoke? To, it's tough to sift through it. I mean, I can sit on Instagram and I can watch. And here's the problem is I can, I can hop on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. I don't go on Facebook, but any of those platforms. And I can see any number of <laughs> qualified individuals that are putting out garbage information. And it's disheartening because these are people that have followings that have, um, for the most part, their lane. And when they stay in it, they're good. But then yep. they start diving into the, you know, what's the hot new thing of the season. And for right now, it seems to be everybody is hopping on the precision rifle bandwagon. And so it's almost back to that, you know, regurgitated information that I see all these videos. I'm like, you know, that dude's a really good instructor or a really good source of information why is he putting out this? And so, unless you know, you're just exactly you know, unless you, don't you know, know, you don't know. Yeah. So if you don't know, then you've got these 15 different people putting videos out there, giving you hints and tips and tricks and all this stuff. And in reality, like 
and this is the point that I was getting at is like, you know, I'm, I'm literally investing myself into trying to understand how to get into real estate. Like that, that is the next area of my life that I'm trying to break into is like, you know, how could I buy a property here and property there and do this? And like, you know, how can I build that side of my, of my empire? Right. And you can't just take people's word for it. You have to take what they say. You have to write down these notes, but then you have to go and prove out what they say. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You got to verify it all. Exactly. It's like trust, but verify. You can't take anything at face value. And that's something I've always harped on. And you've been to my classes. Like this is, this is what we're teaching. This is the way these are the fundamentals. And this is why this happens. Now we're going to go try it so that you can prove it, you know, like, Oh man. So, yeah. And it's, And I know the the tough part too is it's a small community. So you see a lot of these guys doing it and you know them and it's tough because it's like, you know, you don't want to, you don't call people out. It is what it is. There's a lot of drama already. There's enough of it, but it gets, it gets under my skin sometimes where I'm watching this, just going, come on. Like, dude, I tell you, this is not the way. Yeah. So thankfully, you know, I have a very small circle. And it's very small, actually. Uh, you know, so you happen to be one of those people. And then I've got Russ, I've got Nick, I've got Vanessa, I've got Paul. And yeah, maybe another one or two people, if I'm forgetting to name them right now. But there's not a lot of people that can influence me outside of that circle. And, you know, it was kind of around the new year. And I saw a video on social media. And I'm just like, I'm losing it. I'm losing it. And so like, I'm not attacking, but I am making comments on this post. And uh, so there's some back and forth exchanges happening and none of it is negative or, 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 you know, personal attacks, but it is like, well, this is, this is what I see. This is my opinion. This is what perception is reality, you know, and this is how I'm perceiving you right now. And then, you know, I kind of finished with that. And then I felt like, okay, 2023 is like the year of, off my chest. <laughs> yeah. Like, like 2023 is the year of it's, it's time to stop all the nonsense. Like we need to eliminate this. And then boom, another video pops up and I'm watching this and I'm like, Oh, I need to calm down. You know, like I need to get control. So I start speaking to Russ and Nick and they're like, just sit on it. Just, just don't do anything. And I'm like, okay, I won't. Cause I was ready. I was ready to like jump on this and say, the information that you are putting out there is incorrect. But then I got calmed down. I thought about it. Right. And so that is now something that I want us to implement into this podcast is not calling people out. Right. We're not here to break people's businesses down. We're not here to shine the light on anybody, but things that we see and they could be good. They could be bad, but I want to take an opportunity and I want to break them down. I want to look at, okay, this person said, we're going to run this drill and here's how we run it. Here's what happened. And, and then we evaluate whatever's in that video. Right. And I'm 
I am very critical on myself as far as like for Max Horton Academy stuff. When I'm looking at, okay, like I want to post this video of this cop doing this, or I want to post this video of this student doing this. Like I don't expect everybody to do everything right. A hundred percent of the time, especially when they're just learning, right? They're going to make mistakes. But if I'm posting a video, I need to be, very well sure that one, I'm either posting a video showing how it's done right, or I'm posting a video showing this is not right. And here's what we should be doing, but I'm not just throwing random shit up there and then slapping people on the ass saying great job. You know, like that's just not who I am. I think most people would agree. Like, I don't, I don't like, I don't like the fluff. So part of our weekly shit is going to be taking some videos whether it's carving, pistol, in-house tactics, like wherever our expertise can be implemented the best, or if we bring in an outside person to help us out, um, precision rifle, like we look at these videos, again, no names, and it's just, here's this drill, here's what we think, here's where it could go good, here's where it could go bad, and we'll see how it goes, man. I mean... So, and I think, here's the thing is, is... There's a lot of there's a lot of information and there's a lot of of videos put up lately that are are they don't they don't bring any value to I hate to use the word community, but they don't bring any value to the community. They're simply self-serving to either push a product, push a person, or push an agenda, push a class, whatever it is. Um, yeah. And I think it's I don't want to say, you know, it's important. It's yeah, none of this shit's important, but I think people would find value and people would like to, to get, to, to see the information that's being put out there to have it either be verified or debunked. And yeah. with a completely non-biased opinion on just, here's the information, here's the drill, here's what's put out. <laughs> and this is what we think of it. And in doing so, we open up ourselves to scrutiny, which they should also be open to because they're putting the information out. And I welcome it. I think it's important. I think uh, an open dialogue and the information you're putting out. Look, if you're not if you're putting stuff out, you should be able to back up what you're putting out. You know, this isn't how to this isn't, you know, how to bake a cake. This is how to operate a dangerous weapon. And I think it's important that the information put out there um, stands on its own merit. (laughs) 100 percent man and um you know so we always do at the end of every course we do after action reviews and you know i like having the reviews where people write down answers to questions that i have like how was your experience how were me and the instructors you know what was the facility like did you enjoy yourself like is there anything we could do better is there something we did that you would like to do less of something we want to do more of like all of these questions that help me improve right and then i also like to have like an open discussion sit down and talk to the students like okay what would you change what did you want to do? What was your favorite thing? You know, like talk to me, man, to man. And you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but a lot of them want to tell me about their experience. And one of the things that I've really learned is that I will listen to everything they say. And I'll even write down notes. 
but no decisions are made right then and there on the spot because one, you have to see, does it fit in the class? Will the class maintain the flow? If we have 48 hours or 72 hours to work with you, and inside those 72 hours, we're only getting 30 hours of actual training time, where does this fit? And if I put this in, what do I take out? You know, like, so there's a whole lot of things to think about. So people have great ideas, but you sometimes have to step back and say, okay, this is the feedback that I've gotten. Now, let me actually put some brain power behind this and see if what they're saying has weight to it, you know, mm-hmm. or is it just something that somebody wants and it's not feasible, you know? Yeah. So that's kind of how like criticism works, but we all get so fucking offended these days where it's like, well, you know, you know, Tyler, you just didn't do a fucking good job on this class presentation. And I'm like, well, you know, I could come up with every excuse in the book and I didn't have fucking time. I was doing this. I was doing that. I was out rock climbing. I was fucking on a podcast with Jeff. Like I have so many things to do and you're going to criticize me about this shitty class that I put together, you know? And here I am getting defensive, trying to make up excuses. In reality, we make time for what's important to us. So I should be taking that criticism. I should be stepping back and saying, okay, Instead of just saying, sorry, I put on a shitty class. How do I fix it? (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, and we've all become accustomed to that. Like, and I'm not even, I'm just as fucking guilty. Like you see some of the things that I post and, and very rarely will people try to criticize me on my own social media page. Cause I, I kind of know what the fuck I'm doing, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know everything, but I kind of have an idea what the fuck's going on, you know, but I'll post something. And then every once in a while, somebody will try to like chime in and I'll instantly be like, Oh, you know, like there was one and I kind of, I think there was, there was a lot of comments on this video. And finally just one comment got to me and he's like, well, you wouldn't do that in combat. And I'm like, tell me what fucking war zones you've been to, you know, like, I just couldn't hold it back anymore, you know, instead of just like keeping that level head, you know, and, and trying to step myself back and actually read what this guy wrote. And then, you know, if you actually read the comment then you're like, okay, he wasn't actually criticizing you. You just took it that way. Stupid, you know, like, so this is definitely an area where we are going to either praise or criticize drills but we are also open for people to give us the same type of feedback, right? And I'm just going to practice on keeping my fucking mouth shut for like 24 hours and process whatever feedback that we get. Uh-huh. So that <laughs> off on a tangent about, you know, the fuck do you know? You know, because we all do that. And I don't know. It's society these days, man. But so um, I don't know if you got to pick out a drill or something that you saw on social media, but I have one here. Okay. So it's a drill where there is a target at 300 meters. Okay. Yes. The target size is 12 inches by 16 inches. So I'm assuming that it's 12 inches wide. Okay. And it's 16 inches tall. Okay. So before I move any farther in the description, what that tells me right now is that this target is, uh, what, four minutes of angle wide. Yes. And five minutes of angle tall, tall, right? That's a pretty big fucking target. 
Right. Yeah. So if we break if we break it down into mils at 300 meters, we what did I say? Four four MOA wide. Yeah. So it's that's, four wide, five tall. So that's 1.2 mils wide, and then five MOA tall. We're looking at 1.5 mils tall. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you're aiming center of the target, you have 0.6 mils left and right of center to be wrong on your wind call. Depending on what caliber you're shooting, you're shooting 223, shooting 308, you're dealing with like a three or four mile an hour gun, you know, it's going to take six to eight mile an hour wind just to blow you to the edge of the target. Yeah. So what, what are we, where's the thought process here right now? I get that it's a drill. So wind is not really a factor. I understand. Mm -hmm. I got it right. And it says, don't take your eyes off the target, grip, load, hold, and letter rip. Stay focused on the target and reading target feedback. Okay. So it's a 10 second part-time drill. Okay. There's not a lot of uh, reading target feedback there because it's 10 seconds. Well, how many, how many shots if it's a 10 second part-time? So it's it's six shots because there's three targets and they're spread out 50 meters each. Okay. So in the video, it looks like the shooter starts on the far right target. Bang, bang. Moves to the middle target. Bang, bang. Moves to the far left target. Bang. Times out. Bang. Right? So that, that was the video. Um, so what I'm watching in here is stay focused on the target and reading target feedback. Well, you are trying to shoot six shots in a precision rifle, racking the bolt, and going one, two, three targets in 10 seconds. I feel like this drill could be a really good drill, right? It could be a drill utilized for some speed, like staying on target, reading how that target reacts target acquisition going from target over here to target over here to target over there right being able to like take your shots keep your face on the gun bang cycle the bolt bang and then head comes up but sock placement stays here you transition by moving your body and then Mm -hmm. you get on this target two shots same thing head comes up but butt stock never moves move your hips come back down right you're every time you're iding the target and you're engaging with two rounds, right? But the par time is so fast that what you see in the video is that the student starts off correct, right? They're on the gun, they're here, they're focused, the beep goes off, bang! He fucking cycles the bolt, bang! Right? His head comes up, he moves, he comes down. Uh, I think he cycled the bolt already, so he's got a live one in the tube, and then bang! And now, what starts to happen? The fundamentals start to break down. Yeah, absolutely. That's you can that's see fast. that he's starting to he's starting to fish for the target, right? And after every shot, now he's lifting his head, cycling his bolt, and then bringing his head back down. So he's not even staying on the gun anymore. So out of six shots, he had three shots that were fundamentally okay, and then the other three shots they started to break down, break down, break down, break down. Right. So in my opinion, anytime you start to add speed to a drill you are pushing the limits of how well you have built your habits. You know, as speed and intensity increase, you will rely more and more and more and more on the habits that you have successfully built through slow, continuous repetition. And it's proof in the pudding right here. The guy didn't even make the time, 
right? And he doesn't have to even focus on his breathing, his trigger press. He doesn't have to focus on any of that because the fucking target is yeah, 1.2 mils wide. wide. Yeah. Like that's, that's not skill to me. That's like, that's like combat carbine stuff. And now you're trying to do it with a bow gun. Yeah, it really is. And, and I could see, I could see value in, in something similar to that where it's maybe not necessarily a 10 second part time. Cause that's just moving. And, and depending upon the skill level of the shooter, that's just beyond most, but I could see that as a, as a timed drill to, to compare against yourself for, for time, uh, you know, transitions. I mean, really transitions and natural point of aim. I mean, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to get any tar- target feedback in, in 10 seconds and six shots with two transitions. So, that makes no sense. So I've had zero time to think about this drill outside of seeing it and telling you, Hey, I want to talk about this tonight. So yeah. just off the top of my head, like I know there's one thing that I like to do in the classes is as we introduce speed, it's always a gradual, like, all right, guys, you're going to drop down to the prone. You're going to shoulder that rifle. You're going to get into your good position, your natural point of aim. You're going to cycle the bullet. And you're going to take one shot at that target, and you have 20 seconds. Everybody drops down. Fucking get on target. Bang. Everybody shoots, right? It's like, all right. The time limit now is going to be 15 seconds. And everybody does it, right? And we keep going. We keep going. And we keep going. And we try to maintain the fundamentals while finding where our limit is at, right? Now you have a baseline, right? But you got to maintain the baseline with the proper fundamentals. So I could see this drill being done really, really well by starting off slower and forcing that student to actually like read the target, all right? Make the target smaller. Make him make a wind call or hold on the target. Like maybe he gets a free shot before the drill starts. Like, okay, lay down, take your shot. All right. Do you have what the wind is doing? Right. Or maybe they make a wind call. They lay down, they shoot on a big target. They see what their, what their wind guess was versus what they actually hit with make their corrections. All right. Now you have your wind call. Is the shooter ready? Okay. You drop down. It's a smaller target, maybe two of them away. Right. Enough to be, piss you off, but not so bad that you're going to miss every shot. You get down, man, the rifle, you cycle your bolt, boom, you take your shot. And now the student is required to tell the instructor two things, where the target impact was, right? And if you don't see the impact, that's fine. How did the target react? Did it rotate right? Did it rotate left? You know? And meanwhile, I've got a spotter behind you who's recording what is actually happening in the spotting scope, you know? So now you can compare. Was the shooter actually seeing what was happening or was there a delay? So that's the first thing I'd have the shooter tell me is which way did the target rotate? And did you keep your reticle on the target within one mil? Right? Did you manage recoil and stay on target and see your impact? Or did you bounce four mils off to the right, and now you're trying to quickly hurry up fast and rebuild your position, and now it's even worse than when you started, you know? So every shot the shooter takes, it's maintain recoil bubble, left side of the target. 
boom, shoots again. Maintain recoil bubble, center of the target. Now, butt stock placement, head comes up, rotate, 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 find next target, and then continue, right? And let's say the shooter does all of that in 35 seconds. It's like, all right, cool. Let's do it again. Let's see if we can get faster. And then you do it again, right? And before you know it, the shooter no longer has to call out did you maintain recoil management and did you hit where on the target did you hit, right? Because now you're starting to build those habits, right? But anytime we try to introduce speed too early, we're just setting ourselves up to build habits that are not going to prove useful or help us in the long run, right? You're just going to build a habit that you're going to have to come to my course. And now I have to fix you, right? So, yeah. And, and I don't, having not seen the drill, you know, at face value, as it as it sat, I would say best case scenario that could be a test, not a drill. Uh, there's no value in that as a drill. Maybe there's value in it as for a test, whether or not you know whatever. If you yeah, it could be a test. You got a group of students. It's it's an end of class fun shoot, whatever. But it has zero. I don't see that having zero having any value as a drill. Um, but so I again. Agree with it's called a transition drill. So it sounds like the focus of the drill is transitioning between targets. Okay. But so the negative starting... side of the drill is that it's, it's enforcing bad things. Yes. Because you're introducing speed too early, which we've talked about is, you know, start them at a part time of 60 seconds, go down to 40, go down to 35 and see where they start to break down and work at that, at, at that time where they start to break down in order to, create good habits but pushing them too fast is just gonna it's just gonna create bad habits that we gotta fix yeah so i mean that's that's one of them uh that you know that was a video that caught my eye and you know it was a it was a good video to say like this was the prescribed intent behind the video and this is how i see it having a negative effect right and not only does this help people who listen to this episode, but at the same time, like I have how many different drills on our website that are free. You can print them off. You can go to the range and shoot an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper and you can run different drills. And now not only does seeing these drills like help me evaluate what I see, but it's also helping me go back and look at some of the things that we put up from years ago and say, is there any bad habits that we were reinforcing in some of these paper drills? You know, like, do we need yeah, to fix no. anything or it's a good maybe, evaluation of yourself. Maybe I want to come up with a new drill and this is going to be the focus. Right. So, I mean, yeah. So that was one video. Um, the second video is uh, it's not really a drill. The, the, the video was talking about um, magnification and, the way it was presented in the video, and I'm, I'm looking at it right here, is talking about like how much magnification should you have? And I've always, I've always talked about magnification as it is a personal preference. Maybe Jeff likes to shoot on fucking eight power, 
because he doesn't use any of the hash marks on his reticle except for the crosshair. Like that's all he needs to see because he's shooting a laser beam 22-250 and he's killing coyotes at 300 meters and it's just going to hit whatever he's aiming at, right? So we just Pretty need much. a crosshair, right? So maybe you like eight power because it gives you a wide field of view to spot that coyote. Maybe I am a competition shooter and I'm shooting a target at, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred meters, however far away it is. And I want to increase that magnification so that I can see more, right? I can get a precise measurement if I miss from where I aim to where I impact it and then drag and drop and get my hit, right? Uh, I can also use that precise measurement to get a better idea of where I went wrong with my wind call. Magnification can help me see the bullet trace, right? So I'm not afraid of magnification. I have a 7 to 35 power loophole Mark V. And I will use that bitch on 35 power whenever I feel like it. And I'm not afraid. Because I built habits that when I get into my position, before I ever look through the scope, man, before I ever look through the scope, I set that rifle up and I will orient my body and my rifle looking over the scope, right? And I might have the rifle already in position, but my head is above the scope line and I'm looking at the target. I'm lining everything up, my body, my rifle. So then once I actually get down in my position, I'm on the damn target or I'm pretty close to it. So I built that habit over time. And then on top of that understanding, like, what position am I in? Am I in a prone? Am I shooting from a tripod? Am I shooting from some weird obstacle? Like, how is that position going to affect my recoil management? And what do I need to do to mitigate how much the rifle will move, right? Because it's, this is not the first episode where I've talked about it. I've preached it to the Marines that I've been instructing. I've been pushing it for years, right? <clears throat> One mil bubble. From your point of aim, after recoils over, your rifle should settle down within one mil of your aiming point. So knowing that I need to have the buttstock location in the right spot, I need to have my body set up the right way to absorb that recoil. I need to use my non-firing hand to hold that muzzle down if my position is compromised, right? So if I'm on 35 power and I'm shooting at a 400-yard target, I take the shot, and because I've applied the fundamentals, I'm right back onto that target. I don't need to power down to see my my impact, my miss. I don't need to do that because I'm doing everything else right. So I brought this video up because I felt like telling people to power down so that they could see more and they could see their impact or see their miss was really just a let's pull a blanket over these dirty fundamentals that you have and we'll make it yeah, feel better. And I was going to say, you know, you'll see a lot of guys with bad fundamentals that are, are good shooters. They're just they're, some of their, their basics are poor. And you watch those guys run that magnification back and forth, back and forth. You see me matches and they're just, I mean, back and forth constantly. And, you know, they're just, they're masking a couple things that, they, they wouldn't have to do that if they just set a few yeah. more fundamentals in place. Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, you, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a big magnification guy. You know, I usually run, if I can run a full power, I will run a full power. Um, I'll run as high up as I can. And if it's, you know, 
pending low light and I just need a little bit more light to come in. Um, that's how I've always trained. That's how I've always shot. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the same with you or I get myself lined up and, and I put my fundamentals to work. So I don't have to run that, that magnification down all the time. Um, it yeah. just, for me, it, for me, it just takes too long and I don't like doing it. I'm in the same boat, you know, the competition side, you have X amount of time to do <clears> shit. Hey, you got two minutes. Hey, you got 90 seconds. You got this much time to do this much work. And for me, I'd rather spend my time building a good position and focusing on what my wind call should be and what my correction should be and not worrying about messing with the magnification. So you'll see like my scope is you could JB weld that bitch at 23 power and I would be okay because it doesn't come off at 23 power anyway. You know, like that's kind of like my sweet spot. And then if there's a specific stage where I have to change something, then that's in my thought process. Like, okay, for maybe this one stage, I'm going to go to, you know, 15 power, you know, maybe the unsupported stage where I'm sitting there in a kneeling position with my 22 pound rifle. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to power down to like 15 or 16 so that, you know, I got a little room to see the crosshair, but maintain my visual, you know, but outside of that, I'm pretty dead set on like this, my magnification, this is what I train at and it's not going to change, you know? Yeah. And for me, I think outside of the competition world, maybe even more of a, you know, I don't want to say real world cause not everybody shoots coyotes, but you know, in coyote hunting, you know, you, they're pretty small targets and they blend in pretty well with their surroundings. So if I'm hunting during the day, the rules are a little different at night for what I do. But, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever shot and missed a coyote at 200 yards, hundred yards, 300 yards, and you are up at say 20 magnification, you don't know which direction he's running. You don't know how fast it could be up, down, left, right, right. at. Yeah. If, if your fundamentals are piss poor, you don't have time to turn that magnification down he yeah. is gone now and you just don't get to shoot that coyote. So I learned a long time ago that, you know, recoil management is huge for when you're hunting coyotes, um, bobcats, fox, whatever. Cause you take that shot and you miss and they're just gone. I mean, and you oh, don't yeah. have a second shot. So you, you have to be able to manage your recoil and have your fundamentals to get that follow-up shot. I mean, you know, they're gone in a split second. Yeah. And now that, you know, if they weren't moving before, they're moving yeah. now, you know? Yep. And they are and, fast. <laughs> and they're fast. And, you know, it's something that for the military and law enforcement classes that I talk, you know, that I teach is, uh, you know, we have these targets for the military and, uh, you know, we have this specific setting on these. They're, they're like robots, right? And when you shoot them, if you hit them in a vital zone, they go down. And then they come back up. Uh, if you only tag them in a non-vital, then they'll just bob for a second. And then you know what they do? Those motherfuckers are gone, right? Well, like, we have those. Like, not even kidding. Like, it'll be moving along and, you know, we'll get into the evolution of training and shit like that. Because I've learned a lot over the years and I've changed a lot of things. But, you know, I no longer refer to movers as three miles an hour, six miles an hour, you know, nine miles an hour, because 
that doesn't fucking help you. There's no speedometer. You know, the cop or the law enforcement or the military guy is not sitting there with a radar saying, okay, that guy is moving at three miles an hour. Let's do this. You know, like you have to go off of what you see. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's the average speed of a person walking? Well, it's between two and a half and three miles an hour. You know, how about a jogger? You know, just kind of like a light jog, a 10 minute mile pace. That's about six miles an hour. And then a full on run is about nine. And then a sprint, right? Which for a while there, I was telling, you know, and I was dead set on like, people will sprint at 15 miles an hour. And don't get me wrong, some people can. Some people can go faster than that. There's NFL players that run 20, 21, 22 miles an hour, right? Um, but the average person sprinting is about 12 miles an hour. So what do you notice about all of these different speeds of a person is that they're in blocks of three, three, blocks six, three, nine, yeah. 12, right? So um, one, that's helpful to understand how your leads are going to work. But two, like getting into the mindset of like, you know, it's, a, I know it's a fucking robot and I can't make the robot look like it's walking. So anytime I tell you, okay, I want you to engage Fred over there. Fred is walking right to left. That walking should like, you know, build a picture in your mind of like, this guy is just casually walking. Right. Um, so if you take that shot and you miss, well, now Fred is sprinting and your lead, you know, just went from a, you know, two mil lead to a, you know, and uh, coming back to the uh, three, six, nine, 12, right? How many different brackets is that? Three is one, six is two, nine is three, sprinting is four, right? Mm -hmm. So the way that we easily break down movers, and if you look at your movers inside basically 400 yards, okay, inside 400 yards, your leads are going to be the same. Now, people can nitpick on this like, oh, well, my lead for 300 is 1.8, but my lead for 200 is 1.7. Yes, I know. There is a small fraction of a difference, but 0.1 does not matter, right? So inside 400, we're keeping all leads the same. I don't care if they're at 25 yards or they're at 400 yards, right? Your lead for a three mile per hour, or if you're shooting people, which I hope none of the civilians out here are shooting people, then a walker is three miles an hour. Mm -hmm. But then a jogger is a second bracket and a runner is a third bracket. And then a sprinter is a fourth bracket, right? So let's say our walking lead, that's the only lead we have to memorize. Okay. The guy's walking three miles an hour. We're going to hold two mils. Boom. Right. If he is sprinting, we're going to take that two mil lead and we're going to multiply by our fourth bracket. So mm -hmm. now a sprinter becomes a eight mil lead. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And coyote hunting could be the same way. You could be, you know, like a coyote just kind of moving is this speed. And I have no idea what the fuck a coyote moves at. So, you know, I'd have to do some research and, and actually plan to go kill something like that. Uh, but I'm assuming that you got what, maybe four different speeds for a coyote. You got like, kind of like a, a slow trot and then a fast mm -hmm. trot and then kind of like a gallop and then a full on, like I'm getting shot at and I got to survive, you know? So it, it's yeah, kind and of the same. You say that. Cause, cause you know, your, your 
your teaching of this has trained over the year has has changed over the years. And I remember when I first went to my very first sniper school, it was five mile an hour movers. Everything was five. Yeah. And yeah. you know, nothing was threes. I don't the first time I've heard threes was from you ever. Yeah. You know where I uh, I actually got three miles an hour. So you know, it's funny, and I'm trying to I'm trying to be the difference in the in the Marines right now uh, because of this contracting gig that I was fortunate enough to pick up and, and train the Marines. Is I'm trying to be the difference. Um, you know, so when I train these guys at the Urban Sniper School, I am not just trying to tell them what to do, but I want them to understand why we're doing these things, and and I want them to to leave more knowledgeable. And so, like, I remember when I was a Marine Scout sniper, like, you know, we'd be out at the range, we'd be, you know, we're going through basic sniper course, and they'd be like, okay, the target is moving left to right, it is walking, and you are going to hold this. And it wasn't like, here's why we're holding this, or, you know, any of that, it was just like, you're going to hold lead edge, and that's what you're going to do. And like, here you got this little paper target that's moving at like two miles an hour. And it's like, okay, you know, but if you try to hold lead edge on a true person walking, you're not hitting that target. If he is beyond, you know, 200, 250, because the gap between where you aimed and where his backside ends is too great. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. if you think about a mover, uh, a human being, unless you're just fat, you know, and really fucking thick ass guy, most of us are roughly 12 inches thick. So a 12 inch target is four of them away at 300 yards. That's 1.2 mils. You take a 308 or, um, you know, a uh, six millimeter, a six five Creedmoor. So 308, a lead at 300 meters is 1.8 mils. Six five Creedmoor is one point five mils. Six millimeters the same. One point five mils somewhere in there, right? Two two three is about the same. One point nine somewhere, right? If you're holding lead edge and that target is only one point two mils wide, you are missing a half fucking mil off the back. <laughs> you know, like yep. the target is not big enough for you to hold lead edge. It just doesn't work that way. You know. Um, so we were never given a reason of like why we're holding this for movers. It's just like, holy this, holy this, holy this, you know? Um, so I actually picked up the three mile per hour thing uh, from all of the Marine Corps hikes that I had to fucking do when I was in. Like, I hated these fucking hikes because sometimes they'd be like 24 miles of just break you the fuck off. Like, you think you're hard and it's like, we're going to show you, but the pace that a unit has to maintain while hiking with full battle gear is 3.2 miles per hour. And they have to maintain 3.2 so that they can take a 10 minute break at the end of every hour. Right. So the average speed of this unit is three miles per hour. And, uh, you know, so I started thinking about that. I'm like, well, that's a, you know, I remember me and I got short ass fucking legs. My pack weighs just as much as I do, you know, uh, because I just didn't weigh that much. And so like, I remember just fucking like stepping it out and I'm like, oh my God, 3.2 is just so fast. Um, and then you strip the gear off and you walk and you realize that 
three miles an hour, two and a half miles an hour. It's about the same speed that normal people walk, unless they're just fucking around, kind of like staring at the stars and shit, you know, like yeah. that's our speed. So why wouldn't we train to those speeds, you know, versus like you were saying, all right, we're going to shoot this five mile an hour target. It's like, well, what's five miles an hour, you know? And uh, that's the other thing. It's like, uh, I know that a lot of the Marines today, they don't have, um, you know, the wars are over. There's not a lot of combat vets left. And, you know, I'm not big into war stories, but when I'm with the Marines, I feel like I can share things of my experience with them. And, you know, I remember quite a few times there was, there was two instances that come to mind. And, um, you know, unfortunately, they were both misses. And, you know, one of those instances where we have two males walking across this field, they have weapons, they're meeting all of our rules of engagement. And we take the shot and it's a miss. The guy doesn't sit there and wait. You know, he doesn't stop moving and say, what just happened? Yeah. Those guys ran, you know, gone. They, they would have beaten Usain Bolt if he was next to them, you know, like they were gone, you know? So same thing, another instance. And this, this was a little bit farther of a, of a shot. It was like 910 meters. I remember taking this shot and the guy was standing still. It was just, I made a bad wind call and I didn't get the hit, you know? So I took the shot and I'm watching and I just see the wall explode next to him. And then that motherfucker's gone, you know, like there's no time to cycle my bolt and try to send another round because he is just fast. He's gone, you know, like, you know, so I don't like to train uh, as much as I can. I, I try to remove some of this training ism where it's like a guy takes a shot and then, you know, the target just keeps moving at three miles an yeah. hour, you know, because it sucks because not a lot of people get, you know, actual training on real speeds. Um, yeah. I've done some training with uh, LA Sheriff's department. I actually train those guys uh, annually every year, I think all the way up until like 2020. And um, you know, one of the first years I, I ever trained them was when I was, trying to start this business 2013 and you know they heard about my class they send all their team leaders down their team leaders go through class and they love it and they're talking about how like this is just changing their entire organization and in their way of thinking and uh like three weeks later you know i i get a message like dude check out my my hide site and he's sitting on top of a table with a chair and he's got his tripod all splayed out and his gun is up in position he's got his hood over right and uh he sends me a picture of the target area and and the window that he shoots through and what ended up happening and, and this is again this is like one of those real life scenarios where they have surrounded this suspect's house and he's armed and he's a threat and he's not just going to casually walk out the door and slowly lift his gun as he's trying to kill a police officer. No, this dude comes sprinting out the door and this cop who's set up on this tripod has this much of a you know time to react and it has to be the right lead or he's going to miss this guy because he is moving at 12 to 15 miles per hour 
Yeah. You know, which means he is covering what, uh, if I remember the math correctly, it is 22 feet per second. <laughs> 22 feet per second. So those are real life scenarios. And that's, uh, you know, that's how we should be training. You know, unfortunately, it's not always like that. But, you know, you can try to do as much as you can in terms of like, hey, we don't refer to movers as three, six, nine, twelve. It's walking, jogging, running, sprinting, because those things you can visualize, you know, like a lot of, you know, what I always found in law enforcement was a lot of the law enforcement training gets a bad rap because it's always, you know, I see a lot of guys just talk a lot of shit about law enforcement training. And I think part of what they don't understand, and you've, you'll see it because you've had to do it and train those guys is a lot of what happens is it's it's liability and and is this how it's always been done and not because we want to keep doing it that way it's because at the end of the day we end up having to articulate it to some fucking judge about yeah. why we're doing something differently and why was it done this way well this is a better way to do it well what other departments do it that way well none just ours because it's better um no that doesn't fly with me and so yeah. there's a lot of it takes this long it's a long road for change, especially in law enforcement training. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because you have to, you have to prove through years of, of, of other agencies doing it before you can do it. Well, how do you get those other agencies to do it if they're not allowed to fucking do it in the first place? So it's this big, long, like, you, no one can ever change anything. Yeah. And, and what ends up happening is you'll get lucky in some forward thinking you know whether it's a chief or a training uh, uh you know a training sergeant whatever will just take a chance on something because it's better and do it and then the next department does it, the next department does it so you know I, I see a lot of a lot of law enforcement training specifically you know in the the, the patrol type stuff you know not necessarily always the you know whether it's the sniper teams or, or or the SWAT team's entry or whatever they get a bad rap for a lot of their training but it's because it's not it's not the training. It's the articulating it to some judge later why yeah. you're doing it that way. And you know, it's funny you bring that up. Like uh, <clears throat> a class I did over the summer for law enforcement. You know, one of the students asked me. He's like, "Will this hold up in court?" And I'm like, "What?" And he, you know, he's talking about a specific drill that I had them do. And I'm like, "Look." Yeah. I am teaching you how to get the hit. Like, that's why you're here. I'm teaching you to be fundamentally sound. I am teaching you to hit what you're aiming at, right? But I am not teaching you to make a decision because that is on you, right? One, you have to be able to justify why you took that shot. And two, you have to be able to live with yourself for taking that shot. You know, like, I can't do that for you. And I can't tell you what to say to the judge. Like, every scenario is going to be different. So in reality, like you're here to learn how to put the shot where you want it to go. But ultimately, like when you are ready to press that trigger, it will be your decision. And you have to be able to make sure that you have all of, and I, I, I hate calling it like have your bases covered because it sounds like you're trying to like cover up your actions, even though you were justified. You yeah, know? But, but I know what you're saying. It's kind of like, you know, like, 
Um, you know, in, in the past, I've had some really great law enforcement instructors come out and assist me with the course, and they'll run through some scenarios with these guys. And one of my favorite ones is like, okay, here's this scenario, and you got this guy, and you got this guy, and like everything is set up, and you got these two guys out on the perimeter, and they're aimed in at their suspect, and my law enforcement guy is talking to them to the radio. And then he will also be generating the scenario to them, you know, just standing next to them. Okay. This is what you're seeing right now. This is what's happening. Right. And he's basically feeding them. Like uh, he called them red flags, you know, like, mm -hmm. okay, guy has a gun. All right. That's red flag number one, but is it enough to take this guy? You know, What's he doing with this gun? Is he is he hostile with it or does he have it in his pants? You know, like, is he reaching for it or is he hands up? You know, because those are two totally different things. You could have a gun but not be a threat. You know, so like there's red flag number one. And then, you know, does he have a sus or does he have a hostage? Um, he may not be pointing the gun at her or him, but does he have someone under his control and they are not able to willfully leave? You know, is that a red flag? Is it not a red flag? Like, so you start to build this list of red flags and then ultimately you come to this. I have to make a decision. Do I have all of the intentions that are justified for taking the shot or do I not? You know, um, so it's just awesome that you brought that up because that is not something that I want anybody to think that a max order course is like we we don't make these decisions for you. You know, like I'm not a cop. And, you know, when I was a gun wielding motherfucker overseas, I promise you, my rules of engagement were far different than here in America. You know, like mm -hmm. they well, were. And, and so I've talked about that several times, which where. You know, when I was on, when I was on team, we didn't have, neither agency I was at, we, we were not allowed to, we just, we didn't have night vision. It wasn't something that we trained with. It wasn't something that we were at the time allowed to put into use in the field, whether it was making entry or on the sniper team, because we had a different rule of engagement for what our mission was. Yeah. And so we would go, you know, most of us would go train, we'd go to classes, we would take all kinds of training and we would learn lots of cool stuff. But it was up to us if we wanted to use those tools, implement those techniques, use those methods in the field. It was up to us to either make sure they were in line with policy or make sure policy was written or changed that was in line with what we were doing. It wasn't up to our, our training class or Max Ordnance or whoever else we went to yeah. to write policy. It, it was up to them to just teach us what we needed to know. It was up to us to make sure that we were within policy or change policy to do it. So, yeah, it's it, I've heard that before, which, you know, will this stand up in court? Well, I don't fucking know. It's that's yeah. not my job. That's your job. Yeah. to That's your job to figure out. I'm just giving you the tools. Oh, 100 percent, man. And, you know, through the years of law enforcement training that I've done, like just talking with guys, it's not even enough that. You had this suspect, he was doing this, you were justified. Morally, you were justified in taking that shot, right? But what is the political climate of your department and your county in that that area? You know, like these, unfortunately, these are all things that now have to be considered by a cop because they will have a drastic effect on him, you know? And like I talked to our law enforcement guys about like, look, 
I hope that you never have to kill an American. But in the event that you do, one, I hope it's for the right reason. And two, everything that you do from now until that day may come where you are being questioned and in front of a judge and trying to stay out of jail, right? Because some prosecutor is going to say that you did this or whatever, right? Or you're this guy or whatever, like... Don't be posting crazy shit on social media. Don't be wearing, you know, crazy patches on your gear that makes you look like you're a blood hungry cop. Mm-hmm. What What's your data book look like? You know, every time you go to the range, are you recording your shots? Are you, you know, recording what your zero looks like? You know, like how much effort are you putting into all of your preparation? Right. And then are you compromising yourself? on social media or, you know, different aspects of, you know, what you're putting out there that will, you know, goes back to that perception is reality, right? Hey, you got and, this big and, old skull patch on your chest and it yeah. makes it look like you're just out to kill everybody. Like, how's the jury going to see that? You know? Yeah. And, so. and I don't care if, you know, guys will think that they'll stand up on their merit of what happened, which they should be able to, but I can tell you that after every single shooting that I've been around or seen, the first thing they do when they when they come is grab the training directors. Where's all? Where are the training records? Yeah, I want to. Oh, see absolutely! I want to see and that rifle. I want to see everything. Everything. And if you've never sat in as a local cop to sit in federal court. <laughs> Not something that it's not something that's fun. Yeah. So, you know, if it gets to that point because you didn't have training records, you were outside of policy, good shoot or not, you yeah. know, it's up, it's get all the training you need. It's up to you to make sure that you're in policy. Yeah. You know, you got to take it back to my man, Denzel Washington, bro. It's like, it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Mm-hmm. And, and it applies to everything from yeah. keeping your ass out of jail to things that you learn on YouTube. What can you prove, you know? So, all right. Uh, a couple things that I wrote down on our podcast uh, kind of outlined here. And um, I got one. I, I'm trying to think here, like, I don't know how obsessed with um, like podcasts and YouTube that you are. Um, I don't watch a lot of like firearms videos. I, um, I I feel don't take this the wrong way for everybody that's listening and like shit like that. I have not reached the pinnacle of my, my, my firearms capability. And I, wish to continue to grow and continue to get better. I have goals for myself in terms of competition and, and instructor related stuff. I'm always seeking to get better, but I'm also trying to expand where I'm at as a, as an individual. Right. So, um, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but did every morning I wake up at like four o'clock in the morning and I stretch and I'm either listening to a, YouTube motivational video, right? And it's not like this heavy metal pumped up music. It's like it's like people giving speeches or or things like that, right? Because um, 
it's easy to get off track. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. to not follow your schedule. And I'm the type of person, like I need people to call me out. I need to be told that I can't do something. I need to be told that I'm being a little bitch. Like, you know, Oh, Tyler, you can't pick up that, you know, 350 pounds, bitch, hold my beer. Like I'll show you, you know, like tell me I can't do something. So I love listening to these motivational uh, YouTube videos while I'm stretching you know, while I'm on a run, stuff like that. You know, unfortunately, I have to spend $14.99 a month for YouTube to download these videos so that I can listen to them when I have no cell service. Um, but to me, it's worth it, you know. So I listen to these things and I pick out different things that people say. And I've heard, I've heard everybody from like Joe Rogan to Andrew Tate, you know, uh, all kinds of different people, people, I don't remember their names, but I listen to the same videos over and over and over again so that these things start to stick in my mind so that my mindset is changing. And a couple of things that I've picked out that really stuck with me is one is you got habits and rituals, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have consistency <clears throat> and intensity. And, um, I think a lot of people see like the Max Warner podcast is like a competition shooter podcast. And I don't want it to be that. That is where I have graduated to because I am not in the military anymore, but I don't want this to be a military podcast. Like we're not talking tactics and patrolling and shit like that. Right. We're simply talking about like the art of the rifle whether it's law enforcement, military, civilian, competition, hunter, don't care, right? The fundamentals doesn't change from any one of those factors. So habits and rituals, when I first heard that, I'm like, habits and rituals, you know, like at first sounding, it sounds the same, doesn't it? Like a habit is a ritual. Um, but when you dig deeper into it, what would you say? your personal definition of a habit is versus a ritual. I mean, just for, for me, you. you know, a habit would be something that really I do while I'm kind of on autopilot. It's just okay. a habit. It, it yeah, really yeah. is something I don't really have to think about. It's just, these are my habits and these are things I do without having to think about it. Yeah. So in terms of shooting, right. One of the big things that, Every single one of the courses, civilian, law enforcement, and now the military side is I have, and you know, earlier I said, like, we have evolved us as a company, as an instructor, I have evolved to take where I was in 2013 when I got out of the military to become who I am right now. And it's still a growing process. Right. But I start to look at like habits. And it's like, okay, habits are exactly what you just said. Like when I'm on autopilot, okay. So like when you get stressed the fuck out or that beeper goes off and you have two minutes to shoot this stage or when you're hunting, right. And, uh, I can tell you from my personal experience, maybe you're a little bit different, right. Um, my hunting experience is, is not very vast in terms of animals. I have not shot at an animal since before I joined the Marines. Like we would rabbit and whitetail deer hunt in Ohio. But once I joined the Marines, like focus was different and I just haven't hunted since I got out. Right. But I have hunted people and it didn't matter how many of those people ended up in my sights is the, the feeling never changed. Right. Mm -hmm. As I'm about to press this shot, 
that adrenaline's pumping. My heart's going, right? I'm not afraid. I'm just excited. Like there is something about being a man and, and having that dangerous power that gets everything going, right? So as all of these external factors are building up, whether you're hunting or you're competing, everything's going to come back to what habits have you built, right? If you always cycle the bolt nice and slow and you've built this perfect rhythm, right? Then when it comes time to cycle that bolt, you're going to be just fine, right? As long as you do that same manner. But if you built that habit over time and you gradually and gradually and gradually and gradually gotten faster, then when it comes time to take that shot, cycle that bolt and get back on target and see if you have to take a follow-up shot, it happens because you built that habit over time. You've gotten into this position 10,000 times and you built this habit so that you're never in the wrong position, right? And I used to say, perfect practice makes perfect. And I've heard it a couple of different ways. And, you know, as I changed and evolved, you know, I started to think like, okay, well, um, you know, at first it was practice makes perfect. And it's like, well, if I keep practicing the wrong fucking thing, then I'm never going to get perfect because I've never practiced what perfect is, yep. you know? And then I started to say, okay, perfect practice makes perfect. And I've always pushed myself to like chase perfection. I know that I will never get there, but I like knowing that the end of the journey is not reachable, but I will always be chasing it. Right. But then I heard it said a different way. Perfect practice equals progress. Right. And I like that one too, because if you're progressing, then you're progressing in a good way, right? You're yeah. always going up. You're always building those better habits. Um, so the habits is a big one in terms of everything that you do. And law enforcement side, you know, the habit has to be, okay, when you pull your rifle out of your car, are you checking your scope? Are you, you know, what conditions you're rifling? When you put your rifle away, like these are habits that you build so that you're always ready. Are you brass checking? Are you looking in the chamber or are you feeling it with your finger so that you can do the same thing at nighttime and know that you have a round chamber, right? These are just little habits. It's kind of, you know, I always put my M4 magazine here because when I go to speed reload, that's the one I'm grabbing, you know, like, so habits are important and they must be introduced into your training plan and they have to be, you have to start off slow. Everybody wants to go fast. And it's like, that's not where the habits are built. The habits are built by going slow and doing everything step by step by step by step, right? Until you get that perfect motion. And um, so I wrote down on here as uh, Olympic lifting because at that's some your, point- That's your thing now. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, at some point, I just got obsessed with Olympic lifting and not just any Olympic lifting. I just want to be able to snatch, right? Yeah. And there's something, I don't know what it is, man. It's just something about that Olympic lift that has like, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with it because- it takes so you could be the strongest fucking guy around, right? But if you don't have the technique, you will not snatch your body weight. I don't care how strong you are. You will not snatch your body weight if you do not have the technique to, to do that lift, right? And then you run the risk of hurting yourself, 
So I become obsessed with this Olympic lifting. And, you know, I was very fortunate that my last trip here in Hawaii, you know, all last year I was, I was practicing this lift and I thought I was fucking doing it. And I'm like, why am I not progressing as fast as I want to? And then I met this Olympic, um, this prior Olympic, uh, um, lifter here in Hawaii and started trading services. Right. I'll teach you some shooting stuff. If you teach me some Olympic stuff. And it's like, oh, okay. So right off the bat, I'm just, I have the bar, right? And I've never been broke off so hard with just a 45 pound bar since I was probably like 10 years old. Right. But after 30 minutes, I was like, I'm done. Oh my God, please. Can I put it down now? You know, like um, everything from like how I gripped the bar to where are my feet located? How am I driving off the floor? What are my hips doing? What are my, you know, like there's so many fine details. You're talking about like your knees have to kind of like bow out, but at the same time, you're trying to curl your toes and drive from the middle of your foot. And like, you're pulling up. And then as soon as you get up here, your shoulders got to roll forward so that you can pull the bar vertical. And then you got to come underneath the bar and you have to like, you have to press up as you are falling to the ground how many steps do you think are in that lift that's way too many so like i've been practicing this thing all wrong for like seven months and now here i am getting worked over by this olympic coach with just the bar and i'm getting all of these little things corrected and it's like okay tyler this is what i want you to do and i'm like okay so i'm like thinking about it thinking about it and then like i do it and then i'm trying to feel what it's supposed to, what it's supposed to be, right? Because I want to remember what perfect feels like. So then I can keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. Right. So I started off with just the bar and then I graduated. I got to put tens on each side. I felt so happy. Yeah, when I, you know, when like, I first started that, I was using a, I was using a piece of PVC. <laughs> so I didn't fucking hurt myself. Exactly. Right. But on one side, I want to get to my body weight, but then on the other side, I am so focused on trying to be perfect that I forgot about snatching my body weight. I didn't care mm -hmm. anymore. I was more obsessed with like, I want to do this lift perfect. And I want it to feel good. And I want to be able to drop underneath the bar and I want to not rock forward or back. And I want to be able to stand up with that weight over my head. Like mm -hmm. there were so many little details in here and it's kind of like shooting a rifle. You know, there's like, what am I doing with my firing hand? What am I doing with non-firing hand? Where's the buttstock place? Do I have scope shadow? Am I focusing on the reticle? What's my breathing like? How's my grip? Where's my finger placed? Am I aiming at the target? What's the wind doing? You know, like all of these things are taking place. And you can't expect that you're just going to put them all together the second time you're behind the rifle. Yeah. Or you know what? I'm going to go buy a Ruger RPR, which is a shitty rifle, by the way. Nobody buy that rifle. Okay. But I'm going to go buy an RPR. I'm going to put a fucking SIG scope on it with a 20 MOA mount because I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And, <laughs> and I'm going to go to this precision rifle competition and I'm just going to learn from the people that are at the competition. They're going to show me the way, but they're not right. They're going to help you find the targets. They're going to help you figure out your ballistic calculator. They're going to loan you bags. Right. But in reality, you're not going to learn the fine details and the details of what matters, right? That's how you get from that B level to that A level. And 
I don't know if people know my my history in precision rifle shooting, but I got started in competition shooting while I was a Marine. That was our practice. Our platoon sergeant would take us to these competitions. It, it, and it was almost to the point where it was like, hey, you, Dustin, Bono, we're going to the we're going to the competition this weekend. It's like, fuck, man, I don't want to shut the fuck up. You're going. It's like, okay. And well, I, yeah, I told you that before. That was our that was one of our monthly trainings when yeah. um, with with us and the sniper team was we would just go shoot matches. There was all these little local matches and once a month or once every two months, we'd just go shoot one and we just check that off as our training. Yeah. And so that's how I got started in it. And I was shooting 308 because that's what I was shooting in the military. And I didn't know a whole lot. I thought 308 was the shit. And then people were like shooting 260s and then 65 Creedmoor came out. And I'm like, well, fuck that round. I'm shooting 260 now. And I was like, you stupid. Those are the, kind of the same rounds, you know? Like, so there's a lot of growth and learning, but I didn't, you know, like the misconception that we're all fed as Marines is like, you're the best in the world. No, you're not. Like I went to a civilian competition and I got humbled by Ryan Kerr, right? Ryan Kerr is a phenomenal shooter. I love that guy, right? He's a dentist. He's not a war fighter, but he's beating me at a precision rifle competition. Yeah. We would get humbled every week by those guys out there. So this is feeling, yeah, this is feeling my fire. And like, now I'm trying to learn. Right. I'm trying to take what I've been taught as a Marine and I'm trying to see why these civilians are doing things different. You know, like what are they doing? And so at, over the years, like, of course, I was getting better. But I think like my my seating moment, my moment of like I'm no longer shooting in the top 20. I am now a top 10 shooter somewhere around 2016 2017 so you're talking like what five six years of shooting in this style that's how long it took me to just break the top 10 and then 2017 2018 like i was continuing to push but now i was taking a different approach right i wanted to see like what the winner of this match what is he doing different that I'm not doing. Well, he's using this bag and the way that he holds his rifle, he does this. And then I started talking to one guy and he's like, well, I'm just watching my trace all the way out. I'm like, what the fuck do you mean you're watching your trace? It's like, I'm watching the bullet all the way to the target. I'm like, holy fuck. Like that is not happening with me. So then I had to go back to the drawing board and now it's like, okay, how do we do that? What is going to help me get to that level? Uh, okay. Obviously, something is wrong with how I position the rifle because I'm not catching that bullet trace. I'm just not seeing it. So then I start playing with recoil management, buttstock placement. And then I start learning about like, oh, shit, like there's this guy called Sir Isaac Newton. And he has these three laws of physics. And one of his laws says that, you know, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. It's like, oh, shit, that's how re- oh, fuck, that's how recoil works, you know, and then. You know, for a long time, I was like, got to have a light rifle, got to have a light rifle. And I see all these people putting weights on the rifle or shooting heavier bull barrel rifles. And I'm like, that's stupid. That's not practical. But in the end of the day, it's like, I'm there to compete. I'm not there to be fucking practical. I'm there to play the game, you know? So that was part of the problem. 
But then the other part was like just watching what people do, but then taking the extra step and saying, how am I going to replicate that? And then how do I continue to replicate it, right? If you can do something once, it doesn't mean shit. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think all of this sort of circles around the obsession of the of the progress and the obsession of the journey, not necessarily the destination. And it's, I sort of equated to um, the same way I look at my my golf game, where I, I didn't start getting better. It took me it took me 10 years just to break 80. I got, I got started late in life, but I have an obsession with the golf swing. I don't have an obsession with the game. I have an obsession with the golf swing and I have an obsession with the, the rifle and the way it runs and the way it works and everything about it. Not necessarily what the end goal is. I don't think I've yeah. shot a coyote in three or four years. I yeah, take yeah. my buddies out and we go coyote hunting because I just want, I want somebody else to go out there and do it. I'm obsessed with, with the journey and and the progress which makes you start noticing those things and really obsessing on the little details of how to get better versus just how do i kill a coyote how do i win this match you know how do i do this you don't you don't get there unless you become obsessive with the progress yeah so it is it's a it's a it's a progression right it's a, it's an obsession and then it's building those habits once you've figured out the why right you start to figure out the why and whether you're listening to this podcast or you're watching some of our training videos whatever it is like however you figured out the why like once you've got that figured out then you start to build the habits because you understand why you're doing what you're doing right and then 2018 2019 now now I'm winning matches now I'm you know, we go to our, our local monthly matches and win, 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 right? National level matches, win. It's like, okay, now these things are starting to set in, right? And at that time frame, I was also, because of my accession, my in and my desire to progress, I was, and this is a big one right here, I was always practicing. Now, recently, mm-hmm recently i kind of feel like uh i don't really know like in the humblest way that i can say this i kind of feel like from like 20 you know the end of 2020 like the beginning of 2021 like trying to do things differently with max ornate we're trying to you know pump out more content trying to put out more podcasts you know trying to work different law enforcement angles like like as you focus your attention over here, then things that you had your attention focused on, they start to, you know, they start to give way. Yeah. And it's like, okay, thankfully I have built my habits over time to such a level that, and if, you know, think of Michael Jordan, right? At no, no means do I feel like I am the Michael Jordan of precision rifle shooting. Right. But I do remember as a kid in 19, what was it? 1998, Michael Jordan retired. And he went and played baseball and he sucked. And, you know, he ended up coming back to the Chicago Bulls and he was mm-hmm. wearing number 45. And I think that was like 2001, right? Something Maybe. like that. So that three years that he took off of basketball, right? When he retired, Michael Jordan was like five, six levels above everybody that played. There was nobody that could hold a candle to this dude. And then he comes back three years later and he hasn't played basketball, right? He still got the talent. He's still got the habits, but he's not five levels better than everybody else anymore. Now he's only two, 
you know? Yeah, and, I got, and he still and he still won championships. <laughs> and he still won championships, right? But his level fell. And I kind of yeah. feel like, you know, this past year and a half, I'm kind of in that that weird bottom of the wave where like I don't get the practice that I want. I'm not dry firing all the time. I'm almost sitting here just kind of hovering on my talent and my habits that I built. And that's how important habits are because they're yeah. going to help you maintain when you fall off of the, you know, the train and you're not practicing. Right. Um, and, and you can see that like when I was home in January, I got to go to Paula shooting match and mm-hmm. I pulled out the W it was great. Mm-hmm. Very next weekend, I go to a different match, and now I'm tied for second place because my practice is not where it should be, right? I have lost a step. I have dropped a level, and now I I find myself competing to just stay in the top versus, like, I'm at the top, you know, like, so the habits are a huge, huge part of this. And, um, so just to reiterate habits, right. Are the things that you do over and over and over and over again to make things muscle memory so that you can do them on autopilot. Just like you said, uh, the other half that was rituals. And so when I was thinking about like, okay, habits and rituals, what is the difference? The ritual is, is kind of something that, um, you know, I feel like as I've gotten older and this is not a dig at anybody else, so don't take it as a fucking personal, you know, attack, but I do feel like as I've gotten older, I've become, maybe I was always this way and I just needed more structure in my life, but I become more like autistic, if that makes sense. Um, and, and kind of where I'm going with this is if you take an autistic person, they are extremely intelligent and they're very smart, right? But there is one thing about autistic kids and even adults is that they are extremely reliant on their schedule. Yeah. You break that schedule and you have fucked up his whole day. You know, it's like my, it's like my toddler. Exactly. You break that schedule and it's like, you better just wipe everything off the board for the rest of the day because you're fucked, you know, until you go to sleep and you reset the day is over, you know? And I feel like sometimes I'm in that position, even though I have a job right now where like max ordinate it, you know, fucking, you know, Russ, Nick and Vanessa, they make fun of me all the time. Like, Oh, you don't have a real job. I'm like, well, makes money. It feels like a real job, but you're right. I don't work from nine to five. Yeah. And, uh, same thing with the military stuff is, you know, like kind of like last night, I go to the training site at 1500 and I'm not done until 3am, you know, like that's not normal job hours. And that's something that I have to account for and plan for, but there are certain rituals that, help me get through every single day. And one of those, and I've tried to fine tune it so that my life feels more productive. Um, and it's kind of where I want me and you to go with this podcast is, is it becomes a weekly ritual, but I wake up, I make my bed and I instantly drop down on the floor. I start stretching. Right. And I have certain muscle groups that I go through. I start with my lower back and then my hamstrings. And then I, you know, try to spread it out, get my hips working. It's like, feel all the aches and the, you know, bones are cracking. And like, I got to go through this ritual. 
And then once I'm done stretching, then I take my pre-workout and then I got my, my clothes on, I'll go for a run and it doesn't matter how far it is. I might only have 15 minutes before I got to get dressed and be out of the fucking hotel or, or home or whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Right. The distance is irrelevant. It's the ritual that matters. So if, whether I'm running a quarter mile down the block, turning around and coming back, and it took me five minutes to do this, or, you know, today's one of those days where I'm like, I'm going to be nowhere till noon. It's going to be a hell of a day and I'm going to knock out a five miler. Yeah. Well, right. and that's your first, you know, that's your first victory of the day. And, you, and that's kind of how you need to start it. So that's, that's like my morning ritual. And then I come back, I eat my oatmeal, I grab my, my, uh, my stuff. And then it's, now I'm attacking the day, right? Um, when I am like not traveling, I'm not staying in a hotel or, or, you know, I have a little bit more consistent schedule. Then I go back to what my normal plan is, which is do everything the same, wake up, make bed, stretch, pre-workout, go for a run, go to the gym. And then it's attack the day. And I do all of that. And before it's 8am, right? I have this four hour time block every morning where I, I focus on me. Right. And during that time, I'm listening to those YouTube videos. I'm listening to these different podcasts. Sometimes I'll throw a football in there, you know, like my Ohio State Buckeyes and shit. Um, but that is a ritual that fuels me. Right. And so how do we take that and apply it to our precision rifle or our military training or our law enforcement or our hunting? Right. We have to have the same rituals. And the reason that it's important is it's not going to boost your skill level by waking up every day at 4 a.m. and stretching and doing any of this, right? The habits are going to boost your skill level. The rituals are going to set you up for success of continuing to have consistency, right? A program for your life. So if you want to be a better precision rifle shooter, then you need to build this ritual that, you know what, every Tuesday and Thursday, because I work remote from, you know, I work from home Tuesdays and Thursdays. And because I work remote, I get off work every day an hour early because I don't have to drive back from the office. So what are you doing with that hour? Well, every Tuesday and Thursday when I'm working remote, I will go directly from my workstation over to my rifle, which I have set up in this room with my tripod, because the idea here is that your ritual is something easily obtained, right? The harder you have to focus or the harder you have to think about doing something, the less likely you are to do it, you know, like if your rifle's down in the garage and again, I'm not trying to be unsafe. You've got kids at home. I get it. you got to have a different program. Okay. But just speaking in terms of like trying to make it as easy as possible for yourself, you put your stuff in a location or a situation, or you set it up so that the effort it takes to go from one task down to your designated ritual of the day of dry firing or practicing moving from position to position to position or whatever it is that you're doing is pretty seamless. Right. And that's where the rituals come in is having a successful, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be hard at the beginning. Um, you know, when did we first meet? I'd say what, like 2015? 
15 or 14. Somewhere back there, right? Yeah. So <clears throat> right around that time, I was, uh, I don't know, I was a little on the heavier side. It's probably 170 pounds, right? I was kind of in shape, kind of not. It was kind of like wearing that shirt, like kind of fit, kind of fat. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, and then I, uh, I kept working Max Ordnance stuff, but I was also working for Falco Defense and I was doing a lot of traveling for them, driving around the country, seeing different departments. And I was just blowing up by that, you know, by 2018, I was 180 fucking pounds. I think I held it very well. Cause I didn't look like just a fat, you know, little ball, but yeah. 180 pounds and being five foot four, that's pretty pretty beefy kind of dude you know what i'm saying so uh 2019 i get asked to do the sniper adventure challenge and to do that competition i know because i've done it before i know what it takes and i knew that i was in no position to do that right and right off the bat i said okay i gotta run i gotta ruck i gotta get in shape i need to lose weight right i don't want to be carrying fucking 35 extra pounds of weight around that I don't need to. It's time that it's time to get not fat, right? So that's kind of where my ritual started for that segment of my life. And then you can, you can apply this anywhere you want. It doesn't have to be rifle shooting, but this is a rifle podcast. But losing that weight, dude, in the Marines, and I don't know what they have to do as cops, right? But in the Marines, every six months, we have to run three miles. And I wasn't bad at it. I wasn't great. Um, by no means, my legs are way too short to be a long distance runner um, at, at speed, for sure. But at the peak of my career, I was running three miles around 18 and a half, 19 minutes. It's a pretty good pace, right? Perfect score is 18 minutes flat. I don't remember the last time I ran. So 2019, I'm like, all right, <laughs> today's the day. Gotta and I do take, this. A, take off running, dude. And I like, I get, I get a half mile. I'm running downhill. I get a half mile. And I'm like, all right, I gotta fucking stop. So I walked the rest of the way and I had mapped out a three mile loop. And so I walked two and a half miles back to miles. And the next day, I ran again try to make it a little bit farther right but at least have to make it to that same spot without stopping and then i would walk the rest of the way and then the next week i was trying to push it okay can we get three quarters of a mile today right and keep going and keep going but the ritual that i was setting is one got to get my diet under control can't eat garbage food anymore and two i need to run every single day right so i started that pattern did it suck yeah fucking sucked it really sucked because i didn't want to run I fucking hated running. I was fat. I want to lose weight, but I didn't want to put the effort into it. And what happened after three weeks? I can promise you I didn't lose 30 pounds in three weeks. But after three weeks of doing the same thing every single day, it just became part of my life. It became a habit. It became my ritual, right? It became that that habit of running, right? But that ritual of I run every morning, that is what I do. And that pushed me to keep getting better, right? So again, trying to apply that to your life, the first two, the first three weeks are going to suck because it is not a ritual that you 
are accustomed to, you know, like I'm sure right now you got a, you got a newer baby. You guys have a ritual in that house, right? Mm -hmm. And you probably have habits built about like how we're going to heat up the milk or how we're going to do this, or, you know, here's how we put the baby's diaper on. But the rituals are basically timelines, right? And the better you are at sticking to those timelines, the happier everybody is because habits and rituals well, flow together. And you talked about making them, you know, setting yourself up for success. One of the things I am, I, I obsess over and my wife thinks differently about it, but I am huge on making things simple and easy and setting myself up for success. If it means when I, every morning I wake up at six 30, I make the coffee, let the dog out. I sit and I watch my, 30 minutes of videos or my 20 minutes of podcast, whatever it is. But something simple is I don't put the coffee to the left side of the coffee pot because in the morning it makes it more difficult for me to get the stupid spoon out. Whatever it is, little things I set myself up for success by making things simpler. Whether I put that here, build my gym in the garage because I know that it's too tough for me to go to the gym. So I make things easier for myself, but I do that so I can create a, a ritual for myself and actually have it become my ritual, not just something that I, I do for two weeks and it's too difficult and I stop doing it. Yeah. So I set, I try to set things up in my life to be simple and easy in order for them to become my ritual. Yeah. But if you don't, you know, if, if I have to go, if I have to go to my safe and I go to the back of the safe in order to get my rifle to dry fire, because I didn't put it in front and just becomes too much hassle. I'm not going to do it. Right. Yeah. If I don't set if I don't just keep a clean floor, a spot in the garage to to set up and dry fire because I put my bag away and that's going to take 10 minutes to get it out. I'm not going to do it. You know? Yeah. So you definitely got to make it easier for yourself. You really and do. I mean, it, it's do. important and, and it's not. And it's you have to, you know, I I look at it like you have to give yourself credit and not just be like, you know, really get down on yourself. because Things are hard. That's fine. Make them easier for yourself. Like yeah. figure out a way. That's what successful people do is they figure out a way to make it easier for themselves so they can do it. Yeah. Not just continue to struggle to do it every day. Cause you know, if I had to take 20, you know, to set up my, my fucking bench to, you know, whatever to, to do squats or, uh, you know, set my, my squat rack up to do squats. And I had took me 20 minutes every day. I'm not going to do it. Oh yeah. I'm with you, man. So habits and rituals, habits are how <clears throat> you do things. And rituals are when you do things. And if you want to improve, right, whether you want to be successful or not, that is your own mindset, right? Nobody can force that on you but you. But if you want to get better, if you want to be better tomorrow than you were today, then you need to have rituals, right? And you need to develop those habits. The better you are at your rituals, the easier it is for you to do the things that are going to lead to good habits that are going to lead to long-term success. And that is, is it right? So put those into your life. Um, and with that, I kind of wrote in here, like what is an amateur and what is a professional, you know, and I'm not, not knocking anybody. I'm not, there's, I have nobody in my mind right now to pick on i'm simply asking like when we look at amateur professional what would you say is the difference besides obviously the skill right yeah i mean 
How does an amateur get to be a professional? (sighs) Through hard work, I would assume. Through hard work. I mean, you just, it's not just going to a company and saying, Hey, I'd like to shoot for you. Will you please yeah. give me free stuff and I'll put a jersey on? That's not a professional. You know, yeah. like an amateur may be talented, right? But a professional will do the things that need to be done when he doesn't want to do them. And an amateur will not. Yep. I don't feel like dry firing today. The professional doesn't fucking care because he knows that he has to do it. Right. True. You look at JJ Ricasa, one of my favorite, most human beings on the planet, because I don't know how that guy is always so fucking nice to everybody. I know, (laughs) but I love him and I love his mindset and, you know, congrats to him. He just became the world fucking champion. Imagine what it takes to become a world champion. And, you know, this guy's out there every single day he's got time for his family he's got time to work out he's got time to do his stretches he's got time to go to the range and shoot his pistol and work on different techniques right because he is a professional because that is his job to be the best in the world at that right so if you want to go from amateur to professional then you can't be worried that it's fucking eight o'clock at night and you're tired because you worked all day and your kids fucking spent all their time with you doing whatever homework or this or that, right? Kids will go to sleep. And then what do you do after that? Right. Are you, you know, do you want to be successful in business? Are you watching videos? Are you reading books? Do you want to be a better rifle shooter? Are you spending time dry firing? Right. And there was another interesting um, speech that I heard and it really, really fucking resonated with me. Right. Um, it talks about no zero days. Right. What's a zero day? A zero day is fucking accomplishing nothing towards your goals. Nothing. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and part of the speech is like, he's talking, he's like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, you know, and I, and I start thinking about this as like precision rifle shooting and like, maybe I want to get better on the tripod. It's like, okay, today was a long ass fucking day. I didn't get back until 3am and I'm really fucking tired right now. I have done zero to advance myself towards my goal of being a better tripod shooter. And I'm thinking about climbing in that bed right there. That would be a zero day. If I give in to that urge to climb into bed, that's a zero day. But if I go get on my rifle and I take five dry fire shots and I focus on being perfect for every one of those five shots, it's not a zero day, right? I did something to progress towards my goal, right? And that's that's where, uh, what do they call it? Like, uh, you know, January 1st comes and everybody's got these new year's resolutions. Like I'm going to do yeah. this this year. I'm going to do this this year. I'm going to fucking go to the gym. Like it takes the, the, the calendar to roll over for you to tell yourself that you want to do something like it's such a piss poor attitude. Like I hate it. Like I, or I had people ask me like, what's your new year's, new year's resolution? I'm like, I don't know, but I had an August resolution. I'm fucking working on it right now. You know, like, the minute that I come up with an idea, I'm like, I need to focus on this. So um, you got like resolutions and shit like that, right? You got these, these, uh, what's the right word for it? Like, these are things that I want to do. But then what happens when that motivation runs out? When the motivation runs out, then all you have left is the discipline to keep we're, going. We're all motivated. Every one of us is motivated. Everybody's motivated to do, shit. Motivated to do yeah. shit. Right. And then 
what happens when you're not motivated anymore, right? Then you got to fall back on those habits, those rituals, and how disciplined are you to reach that goal? So no zero days, man. I really like that one. Um, so then the other two that I want to talk about was consistency and intensity. Um, and let's, I wrote this. Let's look at let's look at how much we're we're pushing right at two hours right now. Oh, we're good. We're yeah. Good. Let's um, let's leave some of those for either for next week or how long are these ones? We can wrap up. I think I think we'll finish with these ones and then okay. we'll we'll save the rest. Perfect. I got I got two pages of awesomeness here. Perfect. We, we could talk until tomorrow, but we won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just to wrap this show up and habits and rituals and to follow that with consistency and intensity, right? And this was another one of those like it um it kind of it resonated with me because, you know, it talks about like, what is consistency and then what is intensity, right? And then it, consistency takes you back to the habits and rituals. Like you got this ritual where you do something at the same time every single day and you're, you know, building these good habits so that you're running on autopilot when, it, you know, when the time comes for you to fall back on your training, you have set yourself up for your lowest level of training to be at a high level, right? Um so it takes consistency of doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? And you got to obviously do things the right way, right? To build those good habits, right? Through consistency. But then you have the intensity factor, right? And that's where intensity kind of plays into, are you doing the right thing? You yeah. know, like... That, that one's one of my favorites because... I, I try to equate it to I I'm pretty I'm really consistent when I I'm consistent in practicing my golf swing and yeah and going to the range and trying to go three to four days a week and I'm there for two fucking hours right because I'm obsessed with this golf swing and then my coach said I don't want you doing it that much I want you to be consistent, but I need you to be, to cut that down to 30 minutes. And I need you to have intensity in that 30 minutes. Yeah. These are what I need you to focus on. Focus on those as hard as you can and then fucking go home because you're yeah. just sitting there hitting fucking balls for no reason for two hours. That's not doing shit. Yeah. And, and that's the same as, you know, I equate it to firearms where I can go to the range and I can just blow through a hundred rounds of fucking ammo, just shooting at a paper target, not working on anything in particular, or yeah. I can focus on one fundamental that I need to work on and be very intense with it and focus on that one thing. And, and that is drastically different than just going and being consistent every week by, you know, whether it's dry firing or whatever. Definitely, dude. Um, and intensity is a, an important one because not only are you trying to like, okay, I have this 30-minute time block where I'm going to give it everything that I have. And a lot of people associate intensity with like, um, what was that uh, workout guy on TV? Like probably 20 years ago, Billy Blank's intensity Oof. workout or some, some shit, right? Like, like sweat pouring off his body, you know, like that's not the intensity that we're talking about. Yeah. We're, we're talking about like every single rep is done with focus and precision, you know, yeah. like I got my golf club here and you know, I know what the motions have to be and I'm going to make this golf swing count and I'm going to do it with focus and intensity. Right. And I'm going to consistently do it. 
and it's going to help me build those habits, right? We're not talking about rushing into your shooting position and trying to get the shot off, right? Obviously, that could be a goal, right? And um, that's one of the things that I wrote here is that you got to know what your goals are. But at the same time, you can't you can't stop once you reach that goal. You have to keep going, right? Um, so what I like to do is I have a main goal. Let's say, you know what, for um, not 2023, because I'm still kind of, you know, 50-50, wrapped up in max ordinate and wrapped up in this military stuff. But uh, let's say for 2024, you know, I have a goal of 2024, be back in the States 100%. And every month I'm going to hit a national level competition. And every month I'm going to hit two monthly level competitions. And my goal is to win 90% of the matches that I attend. Right now, that is my goal. So then, you know, at the top of my paper, I write the goal. And this is something that I pulled off of a uh, another uh, YouTube video was like, you know, you got this sheet of paper at the top. Here's your goal. And then it split down the middle. And it's like, what do I have to do to get to that goal? Right. Well, if I want to win 90 percent of these matches that I go to, I'm going to have to be fundamentally sound. Right. I'm going to have to make sure that my rifle is set up for me, that I learned everything about my reticle, that I have practiced as much as I can all of 2023, wind calls, positions, tripods, gear deployment, like everything, right? So I have all of these things that I have to do to achieve that goal, right? But then there's another column over here. There's the goals at the top. Here's what I have to do to make this goal reachable. But then the other side of that is, what's it going to cost? I think a lot of people don't realize that if you want something, it will cost something. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be monetary. It could be, it could be anything, right? If you want to be the best in the world, it will cost something. It will cost that fucking Netflix time. It will cost that fucking, you know, like, I want to win the Sniper Adventure Challenge, I have that same piece of paper. It says Sniper Adventure Challenge Champion with my buddy fucking Fred Barton from uh, Bison Tactical. Here's what it's going to take for us to win this. I'm going to have to be in the best shape of my life. I will have to make sure that I am not injured. I will have to get my gear as light as possible. I will have to make sure I practice with the rifle I'm going to shoot in that competition. I will have to make sure that I can withstand dying over 48 hours with no sleep. What is my diet going to look like? I have all these things going down, right? And then over here in the cost column, what's going to cost, right? Well, I have to control my diet. I have to give up the Netflix. I have to work out consistently. I have to do this. I have to shoot my rifle, right? So then you start looking at what does it cost to reach that goal and where's it going to fit into my fucking schedule? Because a lot of you, me, right? We have these goals, but we're not willing to fucking pay for them. Somebody's got to pay for it, right? It's kind of just like, you know, government giving out free money. Somebody's paying for that shit. So... Make sure you guys are taking that little, that that two-tiered process and saying, what does it take to get there? What's it going to cost me? What do I have to give up? And how I'm going to reach that goal? 
And, you know, if you do that and you pair it with habits, rituals, consistency, and intensity, you know, I think a lot of people, if they focus themselves on something, you know, then they all have the ability to achieve whatever it is that they want, right? It might not happen as fast as you want, but it will happen. You just have to keep chipping at it. And, you know, I don't completely know how uh, your business started out, but I think you know kind of how Max Ornett got started is get out of the military. I've got, you know, I got basically involuntarily separated because the Marines were doing a 40,000 drawdown, right? We're getting rid of 40,000 Marines. And you know what, Tyler? You're one of them. You're one of them. Here's $12,000. Get the fuck out. And this is six months before my I'm supposed to re-enlist. I don't have no fucking plan. I have no education. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. And I'm like, oh, God, fuck. What am I going to do? So I took my $12,000 and I said, okay. I'm going to buy this travel trailer. I'm going to find a range. I have a business plan. And you know what? Along the way, I met people. And they were some of the most influential people in helping me get started with like what the name of the company, what the colors to choose, right? But outside of all of that, what did it cost? And I don't think people realize like I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't get out of the military with a ton of money. Like I was one of those dumbasses who had deployed overseas so many times that I had been married twice already, right? And none of my marriages were working because I loved being overseas so much. But at the same time, the adrenaline rush that I was getting from always doing these deployments was forcing me or not forcing me, but I was not good with my money. I come home with $30,000 in combat pay and I'm buying a new truck, buying a motorcycle. Like, you know, I'm not doing smart things with my money. So then I want to start this company and I had $12,000. We go through that list of where do I want, you know, what's my goal what is it going to take to get there? What's it going to cost? You know, for damn near a year, I lived in a parking lot in a camper trailer and I didn't have electricity. You know, I wasn't plugged into a building. I just lived in a camper trailer and I had a 24 hour fitness membership. And that's where I showered and worked out every day. And I ate Subway once a day. Like I was living Below the, I mean, the guy on the corner asking for change has more money than me at that point, you know, like, but I wanted this so bad that I was willing to do anything that it took to get to that goal, right? I looked at that column of what's it going to cost me, and I took it for real. And I said, all right, this is it. This is what it's going to cost, right? I'm not getting new clothes. I'm not getting a new car. I'm living in a trailer and I don't fucking care because at the end of the day, I want to own this business and I want to be successful. And then over here, of what do I have to do to be successful? How do I reach that goal of having, you know, a shooting school that is known across the United States as being one of the best in the world? Well, I have to be different, right? I have to train people in a different manner. I have to evolve, you know? So like when you start applying these things to everything in your life, not just precision rifle shooting, you start to realize like it's going to cost you something. Mm -hmm. And the 
The only way you're going to get to that goal is if you're willing to sacrifice whatever it's going to cost, you know, and that seems to be the hardest part. It's like, well, I'm kind of chilling after work. I'm going to watch this fucking Netflix show or, you know, like I don't feel like doing it today. Your goal doesn't fucking care what you feel like. Right. Yeah. And I think time is the biggest sacrifice that people aren't willing to give up. That, and you know what is, um, you know, if you go back to the, when I started this company, right. You know, what's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed that you will be successful. Yeah. Right? The only thing guaranteed is that you will have to live in the suck and the journey will be amazing, but you are not guaranteed to stand on the podium and be number one. Right. Yeah. It's not guaranteed. So you really have to enjoy the journey and care a little bit less about what the end game is, right? Because the end game can also change along the way. So, all right, man, it's definitely been an awesome conversation. I don't even know what the time is. Dude. I have no watch on. I don't know. You're the one keeping time over there. I have. I I, I only know it because I got nine thousand people calling me. <laughs> uh, I think we're I think we're right at just right over two hours. Uh, cool, man. Well, it's still less than Joe Rogan, so I think yeah, we're all right. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. No, we'll uh, we'll figure out what the schedule is for next one. Um, it will be, if not later this week, it'll be next week. But we will make sure that we are consistent. We'll make sure we make it a ritual, and it will become habit soon. Yeah, absolutely. So, everybody, appreciate you guys listening. It was a long podcast. I hope you guys took something awesome away from it and helps you build and develop and chase those goals that you're looking for. A um, couple things. We are still moving forward and putting um, separate podcasts that are training specific in terms of fundamentals, tripod shooting, barricade shooting, like dealing with different scopes, things like that is on our Patreon page. Okay, go to patreon.com slash maxordinate. Okay. Um, if you look at our website, our training courses are up for 2023, including some of the, you know, we don't sell a lot of products, but if you want to support us, Look at uh, some of the shirts, hoodies that we have for sale, our targets, right? There's nothing better than being able to go to our website and download one of our free targets. Or if you prefer, you can download one of our or uh, purchase one of our targets that we have for sale. That will actually guide you through a regimented training structure. All right. But uh, again, appreciate you guys' support. Appreciate everybody listening. Jeff, until next week, my friend. I'll chat with you later, man. See you.